0: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Psychosocial Distancing Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Daniel Chadbourne, and with me as always is Thomas Brooks. Hello, hello. And today we have a special guest, a returning special guest, uh, Dr. Courtney Plant, uh, who will be joining us in our endeavor to watch some movies and talk about their psychological parrot.
1: We have movies here in Canada.
0: Yes. Oh,
2: you do?
1: The Frozen Wastelands. Yeah, we actually have movies. We huddle around them for warmth.
2: <laughs> I did have a question for you. Uh, when I did that uh, video for your human sexuality class, that I mentioned offhand that, like, I don't know if y'all have Walmart greeters in Canada. Do y'all have Walmart greeters we in do. Canada? We do. We do, in fact, have Walmart greeters in Canada. Oh, okay. Wow. Yeah. How modern.
1: <laughs> modern. <laughs> Capitalism has made its way up here, too.
0: It's spreading.
2: It's spreading.
0: <laughs> so we, um, we all have kind of different degrees in how much we've watched this film. Um, uh, Courtney's seen this probably more than all of us.
1: It's one of my favorite films. I've probably seen it at least a half dozen to a dozen times.
0: So. I, uh, I watched it again today just as a refresher, but I think the last time I saw it was, was way back in the yesteryear when I worked at Blockbuster. And Thomas has not seen this movie.
2: I've got to say, guys, this was the wildest remake of Fifty First States I've ever seen. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so we watched Memento. And, uh, yeah, it was, It is as I said, I, you know, it was a long day and then I watched Memento.
1: Your poor uh, brain.
0: So I, I guess uh, I guess we could start with initial thoughts and then we can kind of talk a little bit about uh what we like, what we don't like, what maybe works psychologically, what doesn't. That's our kind of general, general go-to when it comes to this. So so I guess maybe we could start with Thomas because this is his first. first Yeah, 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 through fresh fresh eyes. Yeah,
2: no, first impressions. So I thought it was very clever. It was very stressful. I do have to confess that I did watch it before we started recording because I'm a chronic procrastinator. And so I actually did watch it at one in 0.25 speed um which <laughs> oh my
1: god it's a hard it's hard enough to follow as it is
2: so it was end? a wild ride it was absolutely wild um but i did pay attention and i liked the thing that i really really that stood out that i really really liked was the way that the movie was formatted in terms of like the black and white scenes and the color scenes yeah and i actually went and looked up the movie afterwards and uh there's actually like a system as to the yep. black and white and the colored scenes. So the black and white scenes go forward in time, and the colored scenes go backwards, backwards. in time, and they alternate. And so they kind of and they merge. meet in the middle. Yeah, no, it was wonderful. I thought that was such a cool framing device. But that was probably my biggest takeaway was just how clever the movie was. I really, really liked watching it. Um, it definitely was very engaging. Um, I you get a lot more. Oh, sorry, up again, but. I was about to say, it's actually, it, it's a,
1: one of those films that benefits from a second watch. Once you get the, the gist of it and you've seen it once and you know, like, what the film is about, when you watch it again, everything is loaded with so much more like, oh, I get, this scene makes a lot more sense now. And and you, you, you it's that sort of layers of an onion thing, right? You get, to, you appreciate a lot more about each scene mm-hmm. once you've seen it once and you kind of know all the little nitty gritty details.
2: Yeah, no, I can definitely see that. Um, I'll definitely rewatch it at normal speed next time, uh, for sure. <laughs> Apparently, there's actually, someone had mentioned that there's actually,
1: people have cut it together so that it's all in chronological order. And I feel like you would lose so much by watching it just in chronological order. I feel like it's just a, a, an okay mm-hmm. sort of basic action suspense film. But yeah. the, it's the watching it out of order that really gives you the, the makes it more immersive to me.
0: If you watch it in order, it kind of ruins everything. Mm-hmm. You, you, you get to the, you know, like the, I guess the beginning is the end. Mm-hmm. And that big twist at the end, or I guess the beginning.
1: Yeah, or in the middle,
0: or yeah. By by knowing that, and, and by kind of seeing how it begins, it, it would kind of, I don't know, I wouldn't want to watch it in mm-hmm. chronological order.
2: And kind of picking up what uh you said about immersion like that was i think one of the other clever things so i feel like we're probably going to talk about uh amnesia in a little bit but i definitely felt like i felt like i took some benzos when i was watching this movie i was like wait what's going on wait where are we again wait who am i like it was very much like i felt like i was experiencing the memory loss with the main character because they per- they perfectly
1: frame it so that each scene, like every time they put a cut, it's because Leonard is kind of like having to refigure something out, right? He, mm-hmm. So he has that mode of, okay, what was I doing kind of thing? And so it, that's the best way to put you in his shoes and go, oh, like along with his response feels very natural because it's you going, oh, what the hell am I, what's going on here, right? So all of his actions make a lot more sense. Whereas if you were watching it start to front, you'd be like, what's he, why doesn't he understand? Like, does he remember what just happened thirty seconds ago? Mm-hmm.
2: Right. So it
1: really helps break the the viewer of that conceit and really put you in his shoes and say, no, like you're, you see for yourself what it's like to go through life this way.
2: Mm-hmm. No, I was like feeling like I needed to start putting tattoos on my body to figure out where this plot <laughs> was going.
0: Well, I like that they brought in brought that in too. So it, it doesn't just kind of touch in on the the anterograde amnesia that that Leonard's going through. And, and he does have that conversation at one point where he's he's alluding to the fallibility of memory in general, because if he does supposedly remember everything up until that point, does he because mm-hmm. there's some stuff that it does imply that he's shaped his own recollection that that he's using it as a coping you know or you know coping in in his way trying to forget some of this information to forget about what really happened mm-hmm. Are we operating on the assumption that the audience has already uh, watched this film?
1: Should we we just put a spoiler alert thing or can we just...
2: I think we've spoiled all the movies up to this point.
1: All right, so we'll just operate on the assumption. (laughs) So I I think one of the great... Speaking to that point, I love this idea that you, you, you can't... I've seen the movie about a half dozen to a dozen times now, and I still come away from it every time not entirely sure what I believe right which truth is the right one because there are so many different ways like at least three different ways you can interpret the ending right Mm -hmm. like oh so is was teddy telling the truth you know teddy is kind of the establishment of this chronic liar so maybe he's lying and leonard actually hasn't done this a dozen times before uh maybe leonard has and maybe it really is a story about a guy deluding himself like you don't actually know for sure which is that wonderful you end on that note of I'm not sure, which is, I imagine what the experience must be like for people. Like you're never a hundred percent sure, even with his system, he can never be a hundred percent sure. All he has to do is, is mess one thing up, right? Miss, selectively miss one tattoo, selectively, you know, miss remember one thing. And he's, who knows how many times he's done that to himself, right? Mm-hmm. So let's say what you come away from that film, not entirely knowing what's sure, or what, what's, what you can take as a given, It creates that experience, I think.
0: Yeah. And having watched it through, I mean, there were a couple of moments like at the end when I was like, wait, so he's setting himself up to go and hunt down Teddy. Mm -hmm. And then there's that scene where Teddy, you know, who's been a cop for most of this, is suddenly like, no, I'm a rat, like, you know, like lies to him. And so it's like, wait a second. That, that, that again puts that question of (laughs) is what. Teddy, you know, is Teddy's events at the end um, accurate to what happened? Is he really, you know, the, the 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 guy who gave insulin to his wife, or is is that all made up? Is he still hunting this killer?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Well, what's or nice, is Teddy lo- the
1: killer? Well, I love as well the, the idea. I, I love films in general, not just that films that accurately portray. um people, with, you know, what these what conditions look like, but also that show the way people respond to it. I really like the idea that almost every character in the, in, in the film, besides Leonard, has tried to take advantage of Leonard, right? The, the hotel keeper essentially admits, yep. yeah, I'm sorry, you're, you know, I could sell a few extra rooms to you. Um, I always forget her name in this. I keep wanting to call her Trinity from The Matrix. Uh, <laughs> the Car- but, Carrie uh, Moss. Says, the Carrie uh, Ann Moss's character. Natalie? Uh, yeah, Natalie, thank you. Uh, Natalie essentially uses him to, to beat the crap out of, uh, uh, Dodd. Um, Teddy is trying to take, try to steal his car and, and, you know, by extension, the money that's inside the back of it. Right. So every single person around him tries to use him or, or, or take advantage of his condition. Right. Mm-hmm. And I, 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 I'm, I love films that, that show that, yeah, if you had this, this is a thing you may not consider, but you're a really easy mark for people to take advantage of. Mm-hmm. And it's disgusting. Like, you, the viewer, watching, go, that's disgusting. They're taking advantage of him. Yeah. And people probably would.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. I also really appreciated that we weren't in some sort of, like, uh savior complex disability movie either. Like, this is a super flawed, relatable character <laughs> who has a disability. Um, yes. Who is not, it was morally ambiguous, honestly. And it's not like the, oh, the poor dear, kind of situations. I really did appreciate that, too. Like, it wasn't, uh, you know, like I said, the savior complex narrative and trope that we usually see coming up with this ability.
1: Well, he was wonderfully empowered. I, I think the tattoo thing is great, like, impractical in, 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 in the real world. But I love that. Yeah, he, this is a person who knew what had happened to him and he wasn't about to you know he he had a system worked out right he he showed that even with this condition you could do a surprising amount right you could mm-hmm. you know uh uh, uh. And so I, I liked that idea yeah that he wasn't you know he wasn't sitting around just sort of bouncing around like a pinball at the whims of everyone he had volition of his own he had mm-hmm. efficacy and agency
2: yeah and natalie wasn't like there to like oh let me Rescue you and help you and enable you to kill your wife's murderer or whatever. Like mm-hmm. she was like, you're a human, and I'm gonna get what I need out of you. Yeah. She used them, and then
0: felt kind of bad about it afterwards. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The one thing I think I could say about this, and and to give you some background <clears throat> on what we've watched so far, so this is movie number seven. We've watched uh, Dangerous Method, High Anxiety. Um, what else have we watched? <laughs> Kinsey, Kinsey. Um, Good Will Hunting. Uh, we have not watched A Beautiful Mind. Uh, but we it, it was because we had watched Good uh, *Goodwill Hunting, Kenzie, uh, Dangerous Method, and uh, oh, we watched, um, and this was before. Altered States. We watched Altered States, but we also watched the the Milgram and Zimbardo movies, The Experimenter and mm-hmm. the Stanford Prison Study. Yeah. And so we had seen just way too many movies of professors uh, hitting on their students. <laughs> and we wanted to get yeah. away from that that's no, legit that's legit and we definitely did and so we watched inside out last week and then we watched this one this week which was again a, a nice change of pace but also that that when when these movies trying to cover history or trying to cover some of these issues um one of the problems that 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 you know we we really try to look for are you know representation like inside out we can argue is a good movie but from a psychological standpoint there are some really big issues and if you're going to try to use it in a class to teach memory yeah, or there's, cognition. There's,
1: yeah, there's so much not correct mm-hmm. there. Man.
0: Right. Uh, this, on the other hand, I think kind of hits the the bill for, for you know not only being a good movie, but, but also really kind of not just touching on enterograde amnesia or, or this kind of enterograde memory loss, uh, but also portraying it in a way, I think... That allows the viewer to understand it better mm-hmm. it's not just saying that this character has it but framing things and cutting and editing the movie in a way where by the end of it you're just as kind of jumbled and trying to put pieces together and trying to hold stuff in your short term memory or within your you know kind of kind of you know, initial consciousness as, as much as something the character is to some degree. Well it's like it's like ninety minutes long. And
1: by the end of it, you're drained. By the end of it, like, oh my God, I can't and like imagine if that was your day to day of life. Like it's it's you you get a feel for just how draining it is cognitively and how uh if you had a person who, you know, people who have entered an right, if they do decide to sort of uh I know that's um um oh my god I'm spacing on his name suddenly took his wife for head Oliver uh, Sachs. Oliver Sacks talks about a case of anterograde amnesia where if I recall correctly, the fellow was essentially kind of blissfully coasted in a state of, you know, like whenever he lost his memory, like the fifties or the sixties, that's just kind of how he coasted. And it's so easy as an outsider to look at that and say, well, how could you be content with that? And I'm like, man, if I had to do the equivalent of sitting through memento for the entirety of my life, like that that amount of hard work and trying to like, yeah, I, I wanna say at some point, Whatever, I'll take Mm -hmm. the the convenience of uh, uh, forgetting.
2: (laughs) Mm -hmm. I think also, and this is kind of outside of Memento, but just kind of the idea that, like, there's, like, a social support around you when you're going through a disability that is going to make things a little bit, not not necessarily easier, but more fluid and comfortable. So, like, if we juxtapose this movie with, like, 50 First Dates, where the entire town is there supporting her and is in on it and is like just letting her do her thing and live her life um you know and this guy is like you know not hanging out with the most psychologically healthy people he's alone he doesn't have resources beyond the money he stole so like i think if we juxtapose that too there's something to be said about like the environment around the disability also impacts how cognitively draining and exhausting that experience yeah. is going to be.
0: That does remind me. I mean, there's research that that shows that not necessarily with, you know, amnesia in this case, but I know research regarding you know individuals with schizophrenia they tend to do better in communities where the community is there to support them, as opposed yeah. to us in the United yeah. States where institutionalization is 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 the go-to or where it might be too difficult or homelessness. Oh yeah, yeah, so homelessness, yeah, yeah, and where you see these these worse outcomes and that that kind of juxtaposition. I mean, in this case, even if Teddy in some way wanted to help him, you know, maybe he was there to help him on the first day, but maybe he was also a crooked cop who wanted, you know, if, if hey, if what Teddy was saying is true, he he has shown himself to be a crooked cop that yeah. that he's still using him. It's still, you know, what happens when the people are not there in your best interest, in your best, you know, mm-hmm. benefit.
1: I wanted to touch as well. You mentioned, uh, you know, you could show this in the class. And I think one, one of the, the key things that was great is that it doesn't just talk about anterograde amnesia, but it also the distinction between, um, I'm going to, my, my, my cognitive days are a little bit behind me now, but the difference between descriptive memory versus uh, oh, episodic memory versus the other kind of memory that I can't remember. Semantic. Semantic, thank you. Right. Because they actually show with Sammy Jenkins, they bring Sammy Jenkins in and he does the little cognitive test where he doesn't remember, you know, which shape had the, the, the shock behind it. Right. But, but they mentioned, but he should have been able to, and that was another thing that was really nice too. Not only did it show a really nice cognitive test, but it also nicely showed that it's very rare to have a perfect case of, Mm -hmm. right. It's very rare in psychology where we get these picture perfect textbook cases of schizophrenia or depression or bipolar, because by all accounts, what they say is that Sammy Jenkins should have been able to do this task because it wasn't a task that relied on his ability to remember the cubes. He should have just, like, the action itself should have created an aversion to one shape, even though he couldn't explain or remember why, right? So, but it's very rare when you have these picture-perfect cases. So even though Sammy Jenkins doesn't look like a textbook case of anterograde amnesia, it isn't, you know, as, as you saw in the film, he, he very likely had anterograde
0: amnesia. there's Mm -hmm. no such thing as a textbook case (laughs) and the textbooks have you know a litany of symptoms that it could you know anything could possibly be so yeah it's a really good example of these these little idiosyncrasies these these subtle differences that that can show up
1: Mm -hmm. really important for undergrads because i know that uh i've i've taught enough intro psych to know students who say well you know i thought i had major depressive disorder and i was diagnosed with it but i was missing this symptom like well you don't you don't need to have them all to get the diagnosis, right? Or sometimes you can have most of them, but not, you know. Mm
2: -hmm. And sometimes you have, like, the essence of the symptoms, but it's presenting in different ways. Yep. And so your experience may not look anything like the symptoms, but you may still have it. Um, And kind of building off of your, like, how it's this uh, movie explains cognition beyond amnesia, I also, going back to our tattoos and kind of the system you brought up is a really good uh, demonstration of externalized cognition. And yes. so the idea that, you know, mm-hmm. like our phones are a part of our cognition, the calculator you're using is a part of your cognition. Transactive you memory. Make, yeah, like your cognition is not locked inside of your head. It's in your body and it's in all of the things in your environment that you utilize to operate throughout your day. And so I really appreciated this very unique and intricate system. So like when one thing breaks down on the inside, the outside world molds to overcome that uh, issue. And so I thought that was a really cool demonstration of how, you know, we, uh, we are, our psychology is not just in our heads. It raises a really interesting
1: question. Uh, so the film I'm, I'm looking here at the details. The film was released in 2000 um, smartphones hadn't quite taken off yet by that point
2: mm-hmm. could this
1: film be remade today and would it be the same thing because how much of what uh leonard was offloading onto ta- uh tattoos could he just you know put into his smartphone right could he retain oh, all yeah. information in his smartphone um as we become more and more reliant on our smartphones and on our technology for for you know, what they call transactive memory um, this film might be entirely different today if we were to to film it again today.
0: Mm-hmm. But, and I would imagine, too, that, that a lot of these sort of key plot points, so when Natalie kind of convinces him, you know, eggs him on, and then convinces him that that Dode beat him up, uh, that he needed to find a pen or he forgot it. And so if he had a smartphone, it's all gone. He could just type it out and suddenly he remembers all of it or he has the notes to look back on and that some of these things, now, would the ultimate end goal be very different? Maybe not, especially if, you know, the idea that, that he kind of takes this willingness to say, all right, Teddy's my next John G. Um, that, would that really, you know, change that? And mm-hmm. I, I think like the core, you definitely have to do some restructuring, but the yeah. core aspect of one wrong note could suddenly mess everything up or send them on the wrong track. One mm-hmm. wrong note, one wrong uh, thing. Or you know, a, a case that his phone dies.
1: I see that that's how the, the, it gives you other plot points, right? He loses his phone. Someone hacks his phone or pops something into his phone. Because one, one of the plot points is he learns to trust his own handwriting, right? So when he wants to, to write a note that he's not 100% sure about, he intentionally writes it in a different kind of writing so he doesn't trust it. Right. So, mm-hmm. in a phone, if, I had, if you take my phone and you add a note to it, I have no idea that you've done that. Mm-hmm. Um,
2: but also, like, surveillance technology goes beyond just the notes that you make. Like, he could have the recorder perpetually on, loading onto a cloud
0: mm-hmm. and then
2: listen to it at speed later if he needs to catch up mm-hmm. or shoot it through a, you know, transcribing software and then he'd have a whole stack of notes about every conversation he had that day
1: at least really interesting discussions about the role of technology in helping to ameliorate some of the symptoms of mental illness as well, right? With, with smartphones and technology, there's tremendous uh, potential therapeutic ability for all these cognitive uh, conditions, right? We're finding ways to, to help people sort of build up a a scaffold to help them sort of function in day-to-day life. The flip side of which being that for, for, you know, quote unquote healthy people who, over rely on you know i always use the example i couldn't remember my phone number from when i was five years old and my friend's phone numbers i couldn't tell you a single friend's phone number today it was all mm-hmm. making us dumber but we're just externalizing that memory so it, mm-hmm. uh, the f- same thing that helps people with say mental illness could potentially be a drawback to people without it so i'm rambling mm-hmm. a little bit but it's an interesting no. thought that i
0: had the hindrances make me think i mean there's some research that has looked at like people who take pictures a lot of pictures because they externalize that that transactive memory that that they have trouble remembering some of those events they need the pictures to remember those events uh or you know even even on the kind of you know flip side of that that like kind of taking all these notes and it being kind of the point where you know that is what, what what leonard's sort of reliance is he needs these notes he needs these pictures he needs this kind of bombardment of information, but the reverse can actually be overwhelming, I mean, to the point mm-hmm. where that bombardment of information, you know, people who tend to overload themselves on all the political news that's going on are su- suddenly find themselves drained that they can't, you know, they're, they're having focus issues uh, because they're, they're constantly trying to juggle all this stuff and nothing's ever making it into long-term memory.
1: hmm Leonard mentions that too. If you remember, he mentioned that uh, he contrasted himself against Sammy Jenkins by saying uh, Sammy didn't have a system. Sammy just had books and books and notes, and he got overwhelmed, right? Whereas Leonard, part of the elegance of, of the tattoos was that it was really streamlined. Only the most important information yeah. made it into, and 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 realistically speaking, Leonard had a really simple life. I like he, he had one singular focus. He didn't work a job. He didn't have a social life to maintain. Um, he, so in some ways, it was kind of a, an overly idealistic situation that, you know, he did you know, uh, uh, get, get the mail on Tuesdays. He didn't have a tattoo for that. Make sure to feed the dog, right? Like he didn't mm-hmm. have any, have to deal with any of that sort of thing. So he could be very single-minded in that approach, but streamlining seems to, to be efficient and, and, you probably
2: all do with a little bit of information streamlining. But also if we picked him up and moved him into twenty twenty and say he did have all those social responsibilities, you can load your Google Calendar up with reminders for every hour of the day. True. So he just ding, what do I have to do? Feed the dog. Ding, it's Wednesday, call
0: mom. It's Friday, hunt Teddy. Yeah, Wednesday, kill, hunt kill Teddy. John G.
2: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
1: I've always found it not to stray too too far away from this, but I always liked the uh the discussion the debate that's that's happening right now about transactive memory, and it fascinates me because some people are sternly in the camp of our technology is making us dumber, the fact that we can't remember the phone numbers means we are dumber, whereas other people say no, the fact that we so readily we know at an instant if I needed to figure out the population of Botswana, I could do it in thirty seconds. I know how to elegantly quickly find that information, whereas, you know, 20 years ago I said, well, guess we'll never know.
0: hmm It's like the people who are arguing now that one of the things that we should be focusing on as educators is not regurgitation of information, but finding and presenting information. Mm-hmm. And so, like, we, we have, I mean, we have something that our, our mentors' mentors could have never dreamed of in terms of some of these journal databases. And that's, it's not really about, you know, can you regurgitate this information effectively, but can you find good information? Can you, you know, condense it in maybe a readable, logical way to kind of support your argument uh, as opposed to just mm-hmm. stream, you know, streamlining little bits. Uh, and, and I think that the kind of same, I don't know, with, with the transactive memory too, it, it makes me wonder, you know, who are these anti-transactive memory? Because like, the research even goes back to you just bring two people together yeah two people working in an office together can split the cognitive memory tasks mm-hmm. and each you know kind of keep aspects of their job together without having to worry too much about the other and that doesn't necessarily make them dumber mm-hmm. they can pool their resources to be maybe more efficient in that regard Well, it's why you
1: see so much dysfunction when in a, a, a a uh, dating couple or a married couple for 35 years when one of the, one of the partners dies among all the other stuff you're dealing with like the, the right. grief and the loss is trying to return to normalcy and realizing all the, the cognitive, all the cognitive stuff your, your partner dealt with. Oh, they always, they were always the ones that dealt with the calling the power company, right? I don't know the mm. number. I don't know how to deal with that. I don't remember you know any of these details because they always handled that.
2: Just kind of like anecdotally from my relationship and my partner and I were joking about this last night actually is that I was talking about a restaurant that I swear we had been to. No, it was the restaurant down the street that we had been to. And he was like, yep. Nope. If my boyfriend starts talking about a physical location or a landmark, it's generally safe to say he doesn't know what he's talking about. Don't, I have be- to do don't
1: believe his lies.
2: <laughs> don't believe his lies. Yeah, no, I have no idea. If he wasn't in the car with me, I would get lost in Dallas every weekend. I would have no <laughs> idea where to go. Like, he is. that is where my cognition is. Um, but no, going kind of back to the whole idea that we have enough technology and is it making us dumber, I think we're just in kind of, like, it's partially, like, cultural boogeymen, kind of like we talked about last time when dr plant was here with video games and born and like technology advancement and old people not liking that but also the technology is challenging what our ideas are of intelligence to begin with yeah and so moving towards this like where the having the information in your head is no longer important it's finding and using and making that information travel is so much more important because of the you know, culture that we're in right now, like the need has shifted in a way yep. that, you know, people 20 years ago could not have imagined.
0: That's why we're having issues with 80-year-old politicians who don't understand basic internet literacy. <laughs> it's it's a series of tubes, you see. Yes. <laughs> that I mean, that's why we're we just, have problems with... Uh... Basic cybersecurity. You know, that they, again, these... This, that disconnect but yeah so because we're all teachers here
2: and we're all like i'm assuming y'all are older millennials yeah millennial. yeah have that you found that Gen these X. young these, these young younger students that we have right now is it odd to you that they don't know how to use microsoft word or like any kind of like detailed formatting computer literacy no. and do they like, tell you why no how to i didn't that sort
0: of i i I've actually noticed this this last semester. I have a severe lack of, oddly enough, um, Microsoft Word proficiency in some Mm -hmm. of my students. Um, I don't think, I think it's because it's maybe not being taught to that same degree in high school. Yeah,
2: that's what I'm thinking. And all of their apps are very interface friendly. Hmm. And so like they grew up with computers and technology, but like it's already been like, you know, simplified for them. And so they don't have, like, I don't know what I do on a computer. I just guess and click, and I figure it out. But, like, hmm. there's, like, not even a willingness to do that. Like, I kind of have, you know, because I've guessed and clicked my whole life through This, this semester, I mean,
0: we're, we're talking about memory, cognition, how we approach things. But this semester in particular might have been extra difficult because there haven't been as many computer labs to go to, and maybe people to go get tutoring help or, like, a writing center that's easily available. But like, no, like, this is how you do basic things like create a running head or indent or cite an APA style reference that.
1: And if you are looking for a social explanation for it, one possibility, ever the social psychologist, and looking for social explanations. Yeah. Um, I wonder if it has to do with, I'm thinking, okay, when we were, when I was growing up, right, there's a wave of the future, right? There's this thing called computers and we're all going to be using them someday. So you best to, to learn yourself some Microsoft Word. But now in an age where we're inundated with it, there's this assumption that they'll pick it up somewhere else, right? Does your grade four English teacher really need to teach you to use a word processor? Because there's either an assumption that you already know how to use one because you were raised in that environment or that someone else is gonna teach it to you. It's not my job.
0: And there's Mm -hmm. also a disconnect between that need to teach script and print and handwriting and all of this stuff that's still very heavily, I mean, at least in the United States to a degree, uh, heavily, you know, pushed. And, and again, maybe that, yeah, the, the Tyson part, well, they'll learn it on their own. They'll learn it elsewhere. Uh, there was a... Um, the all these
2: 80-year-old politicians just assuming these kids are
0: playing on Microsoft Word all day.
2: So, to circle back to the movie just a bit, I, I had a so, so to yes. completely derail
1: the conversation for a second, but I just had a thought. One um, of the other things that's worth asking, because cause I agree with Thomas when he says that it doesn't, the film doesn't make Leonard out to be this this victim right the well we need to save him or not or whatnot but do you think that so Leonard is I wouldn't say I said a violent person but he you know in the end he's certainly not portrayed in a flattering light right he's you know he's out for revenge and stuff and I don't think it's I think the film does a good job not saying that his aggression is the result of his condition but do you think it contributes to the the general trope that people with mental illness tend to be more aggressive. I know it's nicely contrasted against sammy Jenkins, who is uh I, I think that's kinda of, for me that saves it. That it, it shows that Leonard may not be particularly sympathetic and maybe, you know, have a have a violent streak in him for this the diary for revenge, but not everyone with this condition has it, as we see contrasted with Timmy Jenkins. I want to see what your thoughts were about that. Do you think it it Contributes in the end to the concern that people with mental illness
2: are aggressive, or I mean, that I think that's fair. Um, but I think one of the key features of his mental illness is the amnesia from trauma. And so, when you get uh, uh, grade amnesia, you can get it from like a couple sources involving like strokes or alcoholism, or if you have. Parts of your brain removed because of another condition, or you can also get it from herpes, or you can get it oh, from, I didn't know that. yeah, you can get it from herpes. Um, the uh, Clive Waring got it from herpes.
1: No way, huh?
2: Yeah, something today, yeah. Um, but for our main character here, he got it through a highly traumatic, violent break in where he, we're assuming, watched his wife die. We don't, mm-hmm. I'm still big question mark there. Um, and, you know, he's pushed by those drive for revenge. So I think contextually, it's important to recognize that the source of the mental illness in and of itself is significant, but also kind of going back to my parallel to Fifty First Dates, the atmosphere around him is also violent. So he's not uniquely violent in this movie. But he's in a hostile situation. But he's in a very hostile situation. And so, you know, we can, like, compare this to other action movies that occur in similar locations with similar cast of characters and he doesn't really stand out from them besides the mental illness. So, if we zoom away from him and kind of look at other movies and other forms of amnesia, I don't think he's uniquely portrayed as a violent mental health trope. And- but <clears throat> I think that that would be fair to make an inference there that perhaps that is the trope that's being used.
0: It does make me wonder, too, that a lot of the stuff that's going on, because if, so if what Teddy says is true, that his wife was a diabetic, he's really sharing part of his own story, that she did survive, he ended up in a home, then that may even, you know, imply that Teddy's the one who sought him out and said, hey, I'll help you find your wife's killer. Mm -hmm. And Teddy helped kind of create this narrative not maybe not him or maybe he did it as, as a way to cope with the fact that his wife's gone and he's trying to kind of piece because he wouldn't have had any memory of anything up until that point uh, or anything after that point and so it, it does kind of imply and i think with you know, i can see him being kind of a violent character with a mental illness but i i would maybe argue that it does maybe a slightly better job if he is being manipulated at showing what tends to happen. It's, it's not that mentally ill people are violent. It's that more often than not mentally ill people are the victims of violence Mm -hmm. or are the victims of some sort of um, abuse. And so in this case, if you have people like Teddy manipulating him, getting him to think that these drug dealers so that he can make money, he's got $200,000 in the trunk. Teddy's going to take half of that. Probably Teddy's going to probably take most of it all of it, because, hey, he's not going to remember. Leonard's not yeah. going to remember. Mm-hmm. And so, Teddy is the one driving this bloodlust, as as it were, that that he in itself may not be a violent person, mm-hmm. uh, but he is being manipulated to be one.
1: Mm-hmm. Another thought I had, kind of a, a, a random thought, um, do you think that so, so one, this is really fine line you have to straddle whenever you have a character in a in a film with some kind of mental illness. Because, on the one hand, you don't want to portray them as this victim, but on the other hand, there is also a bit of a danger in portraying them as being like super effective and super coping and like creating these expectations oh well well then it shows that that anyone with integrated amnesia should be able to find a system to work through it right like, do you think that there's any any risk involved in in, in um, creating unrealistic expectations for people who have anterior grade amnesia that oh you should all be able to you know like solve a police case right don't let this be a hindrance to you you can you can do anything or do you that know, that's maybe creating like uh maybe we shouldn't we shouldn't have those kinds of expectations, and we should expect a certain degree of it's pretty hard
2: to do this. I think the inherent flaws in his system that were displayed and the consequences of such kind of dispelled that. Like, yeah, you can use your external cognition, but even if you're great at it, you're still going to be messing it up.
1: You can slip up, yeah,
2: yeah. Like, there's there, it wasn't a perfect system by any means, it wasn't like you know, we were watching. I don't know, him, like, actually solve police murders. Like, it wasn't, like, a monk situation. <laughs> this wasn't a
0: superpower, yeah.
2: Yeah, it wasn't his superpower.
0: And it does show him get th- get things wrong. I mean, he goes mm. to the bar looking for Natalie because what he finds in his pocket, which isn't his pocket. Yeah. yeah. And he's, he's making these mistakes. He's kind of being manipulated by other people. Um, and, and so unlike what you might see in other movies where Yeah, he could be portrayed in a way, or you could see someone you know that's portrayed as as coping well with an illness that's very difficult to cope with. Uh, It makes me think there was this great episode of Law and Order, and while they don't all, you know, these TV shows don't always portray things very well, especially when you get into crime dramas, but it involved a man who suffered with schizophrenia who uh, ends up attacking someone, and so he goes to trial, and he comes in, he he gets back on medication and they show this transition between kind of him having these delusions at the beginning of the episode to about halfway through, he gets back on medication and he was going to law school before. So he goes in to defend himself. And at kind of the end of the trial, he stops taking his medication again to show. Mm. And they showed that, and it wasn't something that was happening. Like, I remember that there was an episode of Monk where he gets on medication and like the next day he's fine. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, that old trope this is going to take months to start having mm-hmm. an effect. And, and so it, it's kind of meant that this is taking, there, there's time in between where he's getting worse or he's getting better. But it, does, it did show you know, this case of like, like, this is severe. Like he's having these, these really tough issues and he's really kind of suffering with this, but also like he's not also taking his medication because of the side effects associated, which is a huge yeah. aspect of mm-hmm. the medication. With, with that and there
1: are two great moments in this film that kind of nicely showed that too my, two of my favorite moments for that matter the the one scene where leonard is is sort of running and he goes hey why am i running oh am i am I chasing this guy oh shit i mean the guy shoots him yes. no no i'm running from him which <laughs> i thought was a nice demonstration and then the other one where he, he's in the hotel room getting ready to bonk the guy on the head with it with the bottle and then he kind of loses focus for a second and he goes oh i'm I guess that's like a shower, right? And he, so he's showering in the other guy's hotel room when he was trying to sort of set up an ambush. So I guess you're you're right. It sort of shows that the many flaw this this is not a, a superpower of his. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess one last just sort of comment I had. Um, there was sort of a missed opportunity since we're since we're playing with the 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 ephemeralness that's a word of the ephemerality sure. of of memory. Um how great would it have been if they could have somehow wove in uh some of Elizabeth Loftus's work on uh um false memories, right? Oh. Or embedded memories. Because speaking to this idea, like, oh, could Teddy have implanted that memory, how great would it have been if they somehow dropped that little kernel in there, just somehow mention or drop some some, you know, this idea the Loftus's famous study of the the um people who remember being lost in the mall when they actually had it because someone had suggested it. Right. And so even adding more, more, Oh man, like Teddy could have, could have put the whole memory of his wife dying into his mind when it wasn't even there. Right. That, that Maybe that didn't happen at all. It could have been another layer of what if, which is very, again, very plausible.
2: We've seen from this, uh, from private research, that you can implant false memories in people. Mm-hmm. And I think that there would be some like that would be an easy thing to slide in because that was kind of the question I was left was like, was his story about the other guy that he was helping with the insurance? Was that him? Or was that the guy? And then you kind of see him talking to the cop, whoever the cop was, on the phone telling the story. And I'm wondering, like, is like, Teddy feeding him this and reinterpreting this information for him? Like, Is he calling him every day to like reiterate the same story over and over and over again?
0: Yeah. And if his wife was diabetic, and he would have remembered the process of giving her insulin shot, shouldn't that be something he would have remembered before the amnesia? Mm. Right so yeah that brings in a lot of these questions and yeah just bringing up something like that Loftus is to study some of these really at least since
1: we're already questions. teaching people about about memory and how memory works already it Would have, been st- the, the, again i don't i don't fault the film for not having it. i just think man what a great opportunity that would have been if you wanted to really just absolutely mind fuck the people watching what a yeah. great way to add just another layer of complexity
0: to it mm-hmm. you get to the end of the movie and you're like wait a second
2: or even he, the memories real, that, right?
0: Right, <laughs> yeah. or the baseline memories real? Because he does also seem to have some trouble remembering those little details and those little events, and you know he's like burning the old, like the book and the the objects to kind of try to forget because he wants to, but he doesn't. But. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, that, i
1: that's admit pretty... i admit that part didn't make much sense to me i actually didn't that's the only part of the film that i don't quite get uh, that that doesn't
0: it, it did seem a little I out don't, of place
1: yeah almost like there was the, i i get the feeling there was more to it that was cut and that was sort of the result of editing So i feel like there i didn't quite buy the argument he was trying to forget and yet his
2: whole life is devoted to this revenge plot so i don't get i kind of interpreted it as like because there's a lot of times like where they show in the movie where he wakes up and he's like trying to figure out where he is and like mm-hmm. sometimes he wakes up and thinks that his wife is still there or like she got out of bed earlier or something like that and so I'm wondering if those like the book and the bear and the hairbrush and stuff like that were cues that he used to like oh my wife's just not in bed with me and then he gets up and then remembers everything and so mm-hmm. it kind of gets rid of that recall as soon as he wakes up and puts him in a
0: bad mood fair. So I guess we should get to an end and maybe rate this movie. (laughs) Yeah. So we we rate it on two levels uh, out of 10 um, as a movie. And then kind of it's psychological accuracy, class use. We kind of lump it together because we have had some that like accuracy maybe wasn't as important, but class use, we could see it happening. Uh, it's like so for example like inside out was i think a four out of ten for class use and maybe psychological accuracy there was some there altered states was like a two out of ten mm-hmm. if you haven't but seen it you're high not really anxiety was a
2: surprising one
0: yeah we gave high anxiety a really high number because um the whole uh, scene for the conference was spot on accurate uh it was a pretty good uh they take a lot of uh pot shots at freud and uh, you know, approach them. As well, really they great, should. Yeah, there's a really great uh, social psychology scene in it. Uh, if you haven't seen it, watch it. Good, good, mm-hmm. good Mel Brooks movie. So, yeah, so um, I, I guess uh, we'll, let's start with Thomas. You haven't you haven't seen this yet. I, I think I know what Courtney's going to want to give it. Ten out of ten. Uh, what do you give it, Thomas?
2: As a movie, I will give it a... I'll give it a nine out of ten. As as the action genre isn't my favorite, just personally, I don't give it a 10, but it was probably the best action movie I've seen, so I'll give it a 9.
0: I'd probably give it, I mean, based on how we've rated the other movies, um, you know, in terms of, you know, what they were and kind of in the context of that movie, I, I could see myself giving this a 10 out of 10. It was really good. Uh, it was probably not the movie I should have watched after a long day. Uh, cause it was it was very cognitively draining. It it was rough. The end just completely destroyed me. I was like, wait. And then I had to question everything. Maybe if I go back and watch it again, it'll be a little better. Uh now that I kind of know some of the pieces, it'd be a little more interesting uh to to kind of get into some of that. This is one of those movies though, and, and I think to go back to there was there was a thought that I that came back to me where you asked, you know, is, is this something that's portraying mental illness in a positive way? And it was making me think that, you know, movies like The Joker aren't supposed to do that. But hey, there's some people who really love that character for the wrong reasons. There are people who love Patrick Bateman for the wrong reasons. Yeah, yeah. I, I can see someone watching this and not paying attention and going like, yeah, that's a pretty cool superpower because they don't quite get the point. Mm-hmm. But I I definitely, I really enjoyed it. I I really liked the the story was good. How it kind of interwove, I mean, the fact that this is a movie you don't just want to sit down and watch once. You kind of want to watch again so you can pick up on some of those pieces. Um, Yeah, I liked it.
1: Yeah. And obviously I'm going to give it a, a, it's it's one of my top 10 favorite movies. I've recommended it to so many people. Uh, And I do use it when I teach cognitive psychology, when I teach on uh, memory uh, I tell students that if you want to get a, a perfect understand, near-perfect uh, understanding of the nuances of what it must feel like to experience interrogated amnesia, this is my, my go-to. And, and I remember teaching students the difference between interrogated and retrograde amnesia. And I'm like, watch that film and you will never mix them up again. So, yeah, 10 out of 10 on both accounts.
0: <laughs> yeah, so Thomas, as a, as a psych movie? I'm going
2: to give it a 10, too. Um, I think that our discussion about You know, not just anterograde amnesia, but cognition as a whole. I think you could plop this movie in and have a really good class conversation about all sorts of different sections of the cog book uh, centered around this movie. The only drawback I feel, and this is just like me being like, yeah, because I'm in Texas, is that I don't know if I would like require this movie because of the uh, content of the movie. Or, like, make them watch it in class, for example. But it would definitely be on a recommendation list for sure.
0: Yeah, I think out of all the movies that we've talked about so far, I think this is the one that I would use first. Like, High Anxiety is just fun to watch, mm-hmm. I wouldn't really use it in a class. <laughs> um, but, like, the others from a historical point, there were just some issues with them. Like, this is probably the one that I think hits the mark of you could get something out of this movie as a movie. You could get some out of this something out of this uh, as as a movie if you're, you know, taking a you know, we're talking about cognition. We're doing a memory and cognition course. It'd be very really easy to use. hmm So I think this is like our top movie so far. I think it
2: is. And we'll have to go back through and view the ratings, but it may I think it's number one. I think uh Kinsey might be number two at this point.
0: Yeah, because Kinsey was that. Kinsey was that one where, where we went through and we were like, this can't be accurate. And we're like, oh no, that happened. That's completely entirely accurate.
2: Yeah, they did not sensationalize that one. I'll also point out that Memento, uh, so looking at its
1: Metacritic score, it's got a 9 from users and surprisingly an 80 from uh, critics. So it was actually kind of, pan, not panned by critics, but it, not, not liked by critics as much as uh, uh, by fans. So fans seem to really, really
0: like this film. Yeah, so yeah, we can highly recommend it. So I I guess we're gonna try maybe next week. Maybe we'll just take a week off for Christmas. No rest, only no
2: rest. We're we're watching we're watching a crazy one next week.
0: Which one are we doing again?
2: The Holy Mountain. Holy
0: Mountain.
1: I think I've heard of that one.
2: It's it's uh, Stephen's favorite movie. Uh Oh. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Now I now I'm not sure I want to see it.
2: it's very good we're good i don't know i feel like the holy mountain is probably going to be our lowest rated movie in terms of (laughs) psychology use
0: i don't know because altered states is a thing i I and we gave altered states i think like a a four or five out of ten as a movie but only because of one character in the movie who is the only person in a horror movie ever to basically say you're all idiots we're not doing this anymore but yeah, we gave
2: altered as a psych film. We gave altered states a three out of ten.
0: I the guy uses feel like altered states of consciousness it, to become um, one of our early ancestors, and then runs havoc around Boston.
2: Yeah, he does a bunch oh of drugs. Dear. and goes into an isolation yeah. chamber.
0: So, that's what you missed out not doing that one what Uh, a shame if
2: we took took all of the hallucination and like religious allegory of altered states and then turned it into a feature length film that's the holy mountain
0: I don't know I could probably fit into a class better than altered states so we'll see (laughs) we'll see next week if
2: if if I can throw out
1: a a recommendation not necessarily for next week but for for in general in the future Uh, if you want to talk about uh, obsessive compulsive disorder matchstick men Nicholas Cage matchstick men okay Okay. It's 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 one of its not super well known one, but uh, it's I, I won't spoil anything. I won't say anything about uh, how accurate or inaccurate it is, but uh, watch it with an eye for obsessive compulsive disorder and see what your thoughts are. That would be my
2: suggestion. Cool. Well, we'll, Definitely we'll write that do down. We'll do this
0: again. And yeah. uh, no. I, I told Thomas next time I want to do some really bad psychology movies too. <laughs> like we've we've done some decent movies. In this run. I want to do some really bad ones. Mm-hmm. I want to give low scores, but not altered states. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right. Well, thank you for coming on and talking to us uh, or talking with us about Memento. Um, this was, was really fun. It's it's good to kind of, that we've kept this up for so long and that we're, we're still plodding along with our like six or seven listeners. It's good. Sc- school dropped out. No one's listening to this from my yeah. class anymore uh but but yours <laughs> the 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 discussion we did with you and our Milgram Zimbardo discussion were like have been our two biggest hits so far nice. so we'll, we'll definitely see if we can we can squeeze you back on for another uh, another discussion another topic at some point in the future so yeah sure. absolutely yeah. yeah so thank you again and uh I guess good night everybody good night, good night. bye